Hello, good morning, everyone. This is Donna D, aka the Urban Mommy, and I am here with another podcast. Today, I have the lovely Miss Jen Hardy, and she has an awesome message today. And the title is "Find Your Meaning and Rock It," and I love it, so I had to use it. But I'll give it back, I promise. So, <laughs> welcome, welcome, Jen. Oh, thank you so much. I love your podcast. I've been listening to it, and I think it's so awesome. Oh, thank you so much, and thank you so much for coming. Okay, so. Let's get on into it. Uh, you know how to start. I say, let us know who is Jen. So I am the wife of a veteran and I've got seven kids. Fun fact about me. I gave birth to six children in four different decades. Wow. <laughs> and so, yeah, the math on that is weird. It was the last one of the eighties and the first the 2011. So yeah, it was crazy. Wow. Um, yeah. And, uh, I have two podcasts, four books, and my husband and I just founded a media company. And um, so that's that's me. And, and this is our 24th year homeschooling with eight years left to go. So Wow. You know, I noticed that people with a lot of kids tend to homeschool. Why is that? You know, there's a lot of reasons. Um, <laughs> we started off living in where there was gang territory, so it just mm. worked out better for us. But then we moved, and I don't know, I think... I think when you have so many kids, it helps keep your family like closer because when they're in school, you know, they're all doing their own thing and they would be at three different schools and doing all this different stuff. And, right. and that way it lives together and homeschooling now, I mean, it's a lot different than it was in 2000 when we started, mm-hmm. but yeah, there's so much to do. I mean, people worry about being social, but we could be social all day, every day and never get any school done. Like that's how much there is to do. It's crazy. Wow. Okay. All right. Um, So, yeah, I did see that was one of my questions about because I saw you had all the different with the wide age range with your kids. So that was actually I was going to ask about that. So how was that? Crazy. I'm not going to lie. So I had four kids and then I married someone who had one that fit right in the middle. It was perfect. Um, And we thought, you know, we might want to have a baby. And he was on his way to Iraq. And the window was closing because I was not young. And uh, hold on one second. I'm so sorry. That's okay. One second. Mm-hmm. I'm doing an interview. Please get the dogs. All right. So sorry. That's okay. I have four. <laughs> yeah, they just came home and they're supposed to be quiet and they're not being quiet. Oh. Anyway. <laughs> So, yeah, and then I had, you know, so that I had the one, and then he came home from Iraq, and it was like, well, guess what? It wasn't too late. We had another one. So, there we go. Yeah, it was wild because things are so different, and that's what I try to explain to older women who Mm -hmm. are, maybe they're raising their grandkids, or maybe they just have grandkids, and their kids Mm -hmm. are like, mom, you don't understand what it's like to raise kids today, and I'm telling them, you don't. It is not the same. This whole Mm -hmm. tech generation it's a yeah. whole different ball game, you know, cause my other kids, I could say, well, you know, one hour a day of, you know, screens or whatever, and you're not going to have a phone when you're younger, but they can't communicate with their friends if they don't have a phone. Right. They text. Right. So you're like socially excommunicating them from everybody if you don't. So yeah, it's pretty wild. That's but. true. I, I remember I had to punish my son. He's in high school. So I say, you know what? I'm taking your phone. So I tried to take the phone and that didn't work because the teachers actually use the phones. They have to do things on the phone. So it was like, they're killing our punishments. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So 
I know you have a podcast that talks about over 50. And I know a lot of things, they always say 50, over 50, over the hill. Why do we do 50? What's the significance, do you think? Well, you know, for me, it's because I'm over 50. <laughs> I'm not over <laughs> 60. So that's okay. why I think 50. Um, you know, I don't know. I think in talking to these women, so I just changed my podcast. For eight years, I was working with um, chronically ill moms. Um, and so I just switched a few months ago. And for what I've talked to these women, it's something changes in you when you turn 50 and you really stop caring what other people think. Mm. And it kind of opens the door to start again. Because, you know, all these things like I'm too fat and my belly's too whatever. And, you know, all these things that we judge each other for in our 20s, 30s and 40s. Mm-hmm. You know what? Gravity has taken over when you hit 50. Things right. Right. And so we stop worrying about some of those little things. And I don't know. It's it's interesting because a lot of people are very focused on the fact that aging, we can't control the aging. Right. And so that's kind of rough. Some, for, mm-hmm. for a lot of people but at the same time there's a freedom that comes with it so okay. yeah all right that's a good way into the, the next question so um i see a lot about reclaiming your power can we talk a little bit about a little bit about that yeah so i know okay so for me specifically and a lot of a lot of women that i've talked to we you know because we're older right we we kind of are in this generation like when i was a kid everything was focused on the parents. The kids kind of got dragged to everywhere, right? Whatever my mom and dad want to do, that's what I'm doing. But then somehow between that and me having kids, now it's the kids are in charge. We're going to do what the kids want to do. And we have to make sure that they have the activities and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And I got lost in that because there was never my thing, right? Which was fine because we were also raised that, you know, you never ask what's in it for me because that's selfish. So we're in this predicament where we're taught to never do our own thing. And so my thing is, Hey, wait a minute. We've raised our kids. We've had our family. We've done what society told us we need to do. It's our time now. All those things that people told you, you can't do this. You can't do that. You know, don't pursue art because whatever. Well, guess what? We can do what we want now. You know, we've got our careers or we didn't have a career and the kids have moved out and now it's time to do all those things people told you you couldn't and to figure out who are you really you know because I know when you're raising young kids come sometimes you get you get caught up in that you kind of lose yourself which and there's nothing wrong with that but you're just like you're running right from one thing to the next you're not sleeping at night but once the kids are gone you really you have two choices. I, and I was just talking to a man over 50 who does things for men over 50. And he was saying that men, when they retire, will pass away within three years if they don't have something to do. And okay. so I think that's, you know, we need to we need to let people who are older know it's okay to do things. That's so true. So when we talk about re- reclaiming power, that definitely means that they lost it. So do you think that motherhood is probably the biggest culprit of losing power? I think it's a, it's a big part of it. And I don't, and I don't mean it in a bad way. Like I love right, being a mom, right? So right. I just don't, cause I know a lot of people are like, you shouldn't love being a mom or whatever. And I'm, that's not my thing at all. Like, obviously we homeschool. I'm with my kids all the time. I love them. But right. yeah, I think we lose a big part of ourself in that. And I think you, you really, I don't know the way I raised my kids. I kind of had to, right. Cause I, really was focused on everything that they were doing and 
what I needed has been kind of lost until the last year or two. And I realized, wait, maybe I need to do some things for me. And maybe that's not selfish. And I realized because I had raised my older kids and everything was about them, um, even when I wasn't well, I would push myself super hard to do things for them. And unfortunately, what it taught them is my needs don't matter. Oof. And so at this point, they're adults and my needs don't matter because that's what they were taught. And I think I've done them a disservice and myself a huge disservice. And so, yeah, I think that is so true that oh, it, it, we don't realize that we're doing that. We subconsciously do it. You know, we put our kids first. Again, we, we love our kids, but sometimes we put them first so far up first that we put ourselves way to the back burner yeah yeah that is kind of bad all right so um i want to talk about like boosting confidence so i'm kind of thinking that you said like once you become 50 you're like i don't even care so is that a part of that boost of confidence but what advice do you have for someone else that's trying to boost their confidence it's a part of it but you know i've realized something that because I've been doing a lot of soul searching lately to figure out, you know, what has been holding me back. I've just been really holding myself back. And mm. I've realized it's the voices, the people, things that people say to you, especially when you're younger, like, who do you think you are to want to do this thing? Or why do you think you should do this thing? Or you shouldn't, right? You don't belong. You're not good enough. You're not pretty enough. Whatever whatever it is that we heard when we were younger. And even if it's just said once, sometimes we hold on to that thing and it will replay in our mind. We try to do something else and we hear that same voice and eventually we think it's our own voice and we hold ourselves back. And so what I'm really trying to educate people on right now is to recognize that when you li listen to your own self-talk, right? When you drop something, do you say, man, I'm such an idiot. I'm so whatever, because that you're not, you just dropped something, right? And so that's coming from somewhere. We need to recognize that and tell that voice to be quiet and let them go and really identify, you know, where did that come from and really think about it and then say, I'm going to choose not to let that control where I go from now on and replace it with, I can, I can. That's so. true. A lot. We don't realize how much talking to ourselves and that stuff really matters. I can't remember if I got this on TV or if it was a teacher, but they used to say, you got to stop that stinking thinking. Yeah. I love yeah. it. And you know, I, I bought a book for one of my older kids when they were younger and it was called the optimistic child. And the whole first chapter was about the parents own self-talk because the point was, if you're talking to yourself like that, you're not going to talk to other people very kindly either. Mm. And so the first thing you need to do, if you want your kids to be positive and happy, you need to be positive and happy because they learn from you. You know, that whole do as I say, not as I do thing, that doesn't work. No, no, you're right. All right. So what is imposter syndrome? Oh man, imposter syndrome. It's, you know, I, I do a lot of speaking on this because it's, it's affected me. And once I actually opened up about it and was honest about it, a lot of people said they're dealing with the same thing. So it's when you think you aren't good enough to do something, for instance, starting a podcast, right? A lot of people will be like, man, I have this great idea. I think the world needs to hear it, but I'm not good enough. I don't have 
you know, I don't have the right equipment. Nobody's going to want to hear me. My voice isn't as good as other people, you know, all those things where you make it out to be like, everyone's better than you because we're all the same. Like no one's better than anybody. And that's, you know, once, once you can wrap your brain around the fact that even like these super people that are getting millions of downloads, let's just stick with the podcasting thing, right? They're not any better than you. They just have more downloads. It doesn't make them a better person though. And that's, it's a hard thing to get, to get over though. Cause for some reason we think a lot of people are better than us, but I think a lot of that goes back to those voices too. People telling us. That's so true. And, and I guess I'm the other, I can join in on everyone else saying I have that too, because when you, when you first started, I was like, that sounds like me already. (laughs) I definitely have, um, imposter syndrome. So how, what are some steps to overcome it? That is a really good question. Well, I think the first thing is recognizing, you know, going back to kind of the other thing about your self-talk, right? Just start thinking, what is it that makes me feel like other people are better? What What is it about myself that I'm struggling with? And address those things. So for me, like I'm doing some podcast coaching and there's a couple people that are like famous coaches. There's so much, you know, they get more, everything. I feel like they're so much better than me, right? And so... What is it though that makes me think they're so much better than me? Why, you know, what makes me think that I can't start it and still be good at it? And so I'm I'm actually working with someone who's helping me get through that because sometimes we have these huge things in our head. And I think a lot of it, for me, I believe a lot of it goes back to when we were kids and how we were raised. The people that I've talked to whose parents are like, you can go do anything. Girl, you've got this. You know, you can conquer anything and climb the mountain and succeed. Those are the people that are going out there and they're succeeding. And the people who were told by teachers or parents or whatever, you're dumb or you're not, you know, these other people are better than you. Or maybe we were always picked last at sports or whatever, you know? And so we have that deep seated thing that we're not going to succeed. And I think we just need to let that go and try. The best thing to do is try. And maybe you won't be good at everything and that's okay. But if you don't try, you won't know. You won't know. My daughter is nine and she texted me the other night and it kind of hurt me, but she texted me and she said, can you find me a tutor? Because I'm tired of being that dumb kid. And I was like, you know, and I didn't even know how to respond because I felt, I felt for her. You know, I didn't want her to feel that way to even think that way. And I'm like, I said, you're not dumb. You know, don't say that of course, but something inside of her nine-year-old brain feels that she's dumb and she's like can you please get me some help be like she's like because I don't every time they I get something wrong they're gonna laugh at me and she's been like that for a while but never this bad so this is something that I'm dealing with you know even with my my kids yeah well and I think you know A lot of times that comes from someone else saying something like saying that you're dumb. And so I think addressing, especially with kids that, Hey, sometimes people are mean, Mm -hmm. right? And like my daughter, my daughter said, you know, one of our neighbors in our old neighborhood was really mean. And she said, I thought we're supposed to treat our name, you know, love our neighbor like Mm ourselves." And so what I explained to her is they are loving us. Like they love themselves. A lot of people hate themselves. And that is coming out on everybody else. And so to just explain to them, just because someone else says you're dumb, you're not dumb. Maybe you think about it differently. Maybe the teacher is explaining something in a way that they understand, 
but it's different for you. And if you had someone else explaining it, you'd understand it. Right. And so it's not, yeah, it may, it breaks my heart though. It does. And the weight thing, you know, I was, my older kids were, we were in LA when I started raising them, which is part of the reason we moved. Um, because the weight, you know, at, in second grade, I think I'm fat. Wow. You know, where does that come from? Right. You know? So, yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, I noticed also in some of your work, you talk about being stuck. What is that? It just, you know, it kind of goes back to thinking that you're not going to be anything better, right? I can't be anything better. So I'm just going to stay here. And for me, pushing myself to do something way bigger than I ever thought I could helps get me on. But you just, you have to be willing to take that step. And it's really hard. And sometimes you need to work with somebody like maybe not necessarily like a therapist, but like a coach in whatever the thing is that you want to do to get unstuck. One of the things that I encourage people to do is think back to when you were a kid. When you were a kid, you had all these things you wanted to do when you grew up, right? Like I wanted to, oh my gosh, there was a show about a guy that drove a Mack truck and had a monkey. And in my head, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to do that and be a psychiatrist. What kid wants to be a psychiatrist? I don't know. But, you know, you think back to what are those things you wanted to do? And there's a lot of people that wanted to do artistic pursuits or theater. And and they were told, don't do that. That's not going to make you money. You're not going to get anywhere. So, you know, go back to those things and do the things that you wanted to do and get yourself unstuck. Right. That's true. Okay. So I saw that. I know you have several books, but you did one of them. You did three in one month. I did. I did three in one month. I did um, five-year journals because I just think it's so important to journal. And most of the five-year journals are little. And so you can write one sentence. And so in 2020, when crazy things went down, I started writing in this five-year journal. I could write a sentence a day. So I had things in the margins and on the top and on the bottom. And then I went back in 2021 and things were still pretty crazy and there was no room to write anything. And I thought, okay, why don't people make big journals so you can put a paragraph every day and then you see it in five years and it's really cool to see where you are and the progression and all this stuff well the reason people don't make them is because they're two and a half pounds it's like a huge textbook but um but they're really cool and so mine are a little bit different in that they have prompts so there's one called the path to happiness and every month i give you a prompt and i don't tell you how to be happy because i don't know what's gonna make you happy but like we start with what do you think is going to make you happy? Because a lot of people say they're not happy, but they don't spend very much time thinking about the changes they could make to get there. Um, And then, so every month there's a different thing to kind of lead you to finding your happiness. Okay. So when you're finding your meaning is, do you use journaling to help you find your meaning or how? how Yeah, I think it's, it's very insightful. Because, you know, one day you may be having this great day and you're like, I can conquer the world and everything's great and we're going to get this all done. Um, But then some days are harder, right? And so if you're journaling, you get to track all that and you get to see what you're doing. And especially if you're setting goals, 
you can journal about those goals and what you're, what am I going to do to get there? And it's just a place to keep it all in one spot because, you know, with all these digital things, I don't know about you, but I've got so many folders on my computer. I can barely find anything. Right. And if I write it down in a notebook, then that notebook is taken by a child to use for some schoolwork. So the big journal, man, you can't lose this thing. I'm telling you, they are huge. It's behind me. It's like eight and a half by 11 and like two inches thick. It's a thing. And um, so then you're going to find it. And my my secret for the journal is this. Do not write things in that journal you don't want people to read. Mm. Anything you write down, just make sure you write it in a way where you know what you're saying. But other people won't be very hurt because sometimes people are nosy, especially if you got kids in your house. Yeah. So just something to note. <laughs> so did you... Uh, do journaling with your kids when they were younger or is this something that's kind of like a new new thing? So yeah, we have journaled the whole time since my older kids were younger. It's something that they did as part of homeschool every single morning. Wow. So they just had to write a paragraph and I never graded it and I didn't look at it if they didn't want me to look at it. Um, but sometimes what's really cool about having your kids journal is that if they're going through something that they're having a hard time talking about, several times I've had my child say, can you read today's journal entry? Because it's something that they want me to know, but they just don't know how to say. And so it's been really helpful, especially with my boys became teenagers. Um, and do they want to journal? They do not. But just a paragraph a day. Yeah, we've always done it. Okay. It's cool for them to go back later, you know, and see what their life was like. That's, that's what I need to actually start that. That's a, a great idea. I, I've started journaling as an adult, but I mean, as a kid, we did it in class, but I never saw the importance of it. I always thought it was just like an assignment. But as I got older, I started realizing that you got to see your, your growth. You're able to see it better. Yeah, and I I had found one of the one of my son's journals through the time that his dad and I were getting divorced, and like all the stuff that he wrote. But it was so healthy because he had a place to get it out, you know. Um, and so it was really sad giving it for that, you know. But but I think it's good because then he could because sometimes we kind of block things out, and then if you ever want to go back and see what that was like, you can. Definitely going to be starting it. Definitely. Okay. So we're going to ch change topics a little bit because I know you are also into healthcare and I see you have, you have a lot of issues with health. What is medical gaslighting? Medical gaslighting. It is a hot topic. Um, so it's a little bit different than, you know, regular gaslighting. Someone is setting out to make you feel like you're crazy. Right. And, right. and that's, you know, obviously a horrible thing. Um, and so is medical gaslighting, but a lot of times it's not done on purpose. Doctors typically are not setting out to make you feel like you're nuts, but unfortunately that's how a lot of people feel. It's mostly women and people of color. Um, mostly people of color. I don't know if you've heard, I'm sure you've heard stories. The stories that I've heard are absolute nightmares. I mean, it's crazy. Um, but it's when a doctor will not listen to you. They either will not listen to you. They feel make you feel like what you're saying doesn't matter. Or they might even tell you, you can't be having those symptoms or that thing at all. Or they might tell you you're, it's just anxiety or depression, but then they refuse to treat you for the anxiety or depression. So you leave the doctor's office knowing there's something going on in your body and not getting any help at all. So for instance, one of my episodes, this girl had a six inch rib bone 
that was attached to her neck. She was born that way. It grew as she grew. She was 30 before someone figured out. She had seven x-rays and no doctor saw a six inch bone because she's in a rural area without insurance. And so they were just getting her in, getting her out. And it, she started dating someone who was an occupation or a physical therapist. And she said, you know, can you massage my neck? It always hurts. And he rubbed it. He said, oh my gosh, that's not a muscle. That's a bone. And after that, it took her two years to get help because people just gaslit her all over the place. So yeah, stuff like that. Wow. Okay. So, and I always had that issue. And now that I think about it, I never knew that it actually had a real term. That was actually my first time seeing that term, medical gaslighting. Um, but I think last year, actually in February, I had a car accident. I was actually T-boned, sent to oh, the wow. hospital. And they basically, I'm, I'm telling them how I feel. I was, have had, I mean, I've had head issues before. So like, they did not treat me like it was they basically go, go sit down. Then I was like, I don't feel well. And they gave me a, um, a Xanax. Wow. Yes. They gave me a Xanax. I told them that I was in pain. So they're like, okay. So they made me, you know, use the cup. They test my urine. I'm thinking they just trying to make sure I'm not pregnant. They're trying to make sure I'm not a drug addict. So of course, and I'm, and my results are coming to the phone and like, they're checking me for barbiturates, crack, methamphetamine, all kind of drugs. And I'm like, I was just T-boned and you're checking me for drugs and I'm hurt. And then I looked at the medication that they gave me and it was a Xanax, that's what they gave me. And they never treated my pain. They basically, and then a couple of months later, I found out that I had a herniated disc in my back. Yeah, it's, it is a nightmare. And so a lot of times, you know, doctors are leaving the medical field like crazy like since 2020 and so his staff I had I was in the hospital for a stroke I had a nurse or, or a CNA that came in she had 60 patients in the emergency room 60 for one person how in the world are they going to give you care but also yeah it's it's really reaching an epidemic proportion and so what what we do is, and I'm starting to have more practitioners come on at first. They didn't want to, but now I've got people that have heard about it that are coming on and talking about it. Mm. Nurses that have left the hospitals because they see what's happening, you know? Um, but what everyone says, and this is so important for everyone, whether you have a health condition or not, when you go to the doctor, bring someone with you. Mm. There's something about having your own advocate there. And it's weird. Like with me, I, I go to the doctor and I say, I'm in pain. They ignore me completely. My husband will come and say, she's in pain. And they go, oh, we'll get her some pain medicine. Wow. And that should not be a thing. Like this is 2023. Why can a woman not say, you know, but they won't listen to us because apparently there's something innately in a woman that makes her think, I don't, mm. yeah, it gets me kind of fired up. It really does. It's very frustrating. But yeah, you always want to have someone with you. But what if you can't? Like you were in an accident, right? It's not like, you know. Right. Um, yeah, it's, it's and I mean, that's just one example. I have several, but like I said, I never knew that there was actually a term. So actually now a little later, I'm going to go look this up because, and I honestly, I've read some stuff about it and I just kind of attribute it to maybe racism or maybe some type of classism, maybe thinking, oh, you know, maybe she's a drug addict. I'm not sure what they thought, but clearly well, they thought a lie. lot of things. A lot of it is racism. A lot of it is, and they and they will they actually teach doctors that people of color have so, something about 
pain, like higher pain, pain tolerance and pain. And so you guys don't get what the heck? What is that? We're yeah, all people. I, I really don't understand at yeah. all. You know? Um, yeah, I really. Yeah, I, really I read about, and actually, I read about that when I was looking up my situation, and um, they said that they used to perform surgeries on slaves, and they wouldn't use pain medicine. So that's that's where that came from. Yeah. Yeah. Which so is, I mean, that, that's tough, and it's sad that we still have to do that. Like, I, I I actually do have anxiety, but the problem is with anxiety. You know, you're always worrying, you're always scared, and my anxiety it gets pretty bad. So the thing is, I was. You go to the doctor and then they shush you away so often that you're like, okay, maybe it's just my anxiety. But then my anxiety kicks in again. And I'm like, well, what if I'm really hurt? And right. I stay home because I'm like, oh, it's just anxiety. So, yeah. And it's, it's a struggle. It, it really is a struggle. And, and the, the biggest thing is if you're, well, I mean, if you're in the ER, there's not a lot you can do, unfortunately, except call someone and have someone come down would be the biggest thing and then just find the doctor that listens which is not always easy but you what you what we do now is we'll actually call the doctor's office and kind of pre-screen the staff Mm. and ask them some questions just to see are they attentive are they going to listen are they going to be rude you know and we won't go if because that's just an indicator if the doctor's going to put up with that i don't want to go that's true wow that is so true um so how can, I saw one of your questions was, how can we be better patients? So is that just bringing someone with you or is that something else you suggest? So, okay. So there's a few, just a couple of things that will make your visit go so much better. Cause I keep interviewing doctors and asking them because we are having a really hard time right now in our house, getting good quality care. So number one, bring someone with mm-hmm. number two, that may should be may, might should be okay. I can't say the words. Number one, um, write down before you go. Write down all of your questions, anything you're concerned about, and have a list of all of your diagnoses and your medicines, because that way you're not going to waste time looking it up. So something to remember is doctors right now there's not enough of them and they don't have enough time. And so if you go in there and you're like, Oh, wait a minute, let me look this up. Oh, wait a minute. I don't know that they're, they're going to get frustrated. So you want to go in and say, okay, here's my list of everything. Here's what's going on. Um, recognize that they're a human. They're not a God. Um, and they're not perfect. And I think for a long time, people treated doctors like gods and they're just, they're not. And there's so many things we know about. They can't know about every single thing. So go in, present your issue in a somewhat timely manner. Um, And one thing that a doctor explained to me was if they say what's going on and you say, well, two months ago, I was at Uncle Eddie's house. We were having this barbecue. They they don't want that information. Right. And so that's going to frustrate them off the bat, whether it should or not, it does. Um, so just, just know things, keep it clear and concise, ask questions. And the other thing was that I had never thought about, let's say they give you a treatment plan like that. Let's say they tell you, well, I think you're fine. Just take, I'm going to prescribe you some Xanax. Just take a half of one a day. It's okay to say, you know what? I'm not going to do that. I don't want to take a Xanax a day. So what is another choice for me? Because I don't want to tell you I'm going to do something that I'm not going to do. I think there's something deeper here. And if they just aren't going to listen, schedule with another doctor. Yeah, um, I live in New Orleans. And I just saw a study that said that New Orleans has 
the highest infant mortality as well as maternal mortality rate. And one of them was in the world. We were like at the top compared to some third world countries. And a lot of it is because exactly what you're talking about with the medical, I mean, with the, the medical gaslighting, it's really sad. And of course, that's where I live. So the resources that we have to use doctors, we even have dentists where if you have like a root canal, you can get two root canals or something and they will not give you pain medicine. Oh my God. Yeah. There's one, one dentist here saying we don't believe in pain medicine. Well, tell us that before you cut open my mouth. Right. Well, and honestly, I, you know, I don't know how you feel about it, but this whole war on pain medicine thing, like what, what is frustrating for me is that they are taking, they're taking street, what is it? They're taking heroin overdoses and they're putting that with prescription pain overdoses and they're calling it all the same thing and it's not all the same thing and so patients that need pain medicine cannot get it anymore and people are suffering like it's ruining people's lives it's so sad you know and it would be so easy to just help them out and the crazy part about that is the people that are actually suffering, that actually have issues, like I have all kinds of stuff, but I don't get any medicine, but I mean, I've just learned to deal with it. But the people who abuse drugs, abuse fentanyl, abuse heroin, they're still going to get it. Yeah. They're not using the doctor's prescription. So why are you stopping doctors from helping people? Exactly. And, and sadly, what's happening is if someone can't get pain medicine from their doctor, they're going to the street and they're getting it. And uh, if they're frequently overdosing, and the reason they're overdosing is because they're in so much pain, they can't take it anymore. You know, they just can't take it. And I just think that's so sad. We we live in a country that could prevent all of these things. And and why are we allowing people to suffer? Yeah, my cousin moved to, I always get it wrong, it's either the Netherlands or Switzerland. My cousin moved there because, you know, the, the healthcare is much better. She lived in America clearly all of her life. And it wasn't until she made it to Switzerland that they found out that she had some kind of tumor or something on her brain. Wow. Yeah, so she she has not come back. She's been there. She even married a guy from Switzerland or Netherlands, whatever it was. But she she even married him because of the, the way the healthcare crisis is here. So with all of that going on, and I know you have some health issues yourself, how do you remain so positive? Well, I got a choice. I can sit there and I can think, well, you know, well, I was told, I was told in 2018 that I wasn't going to make it past another year. And so, yeah, I, there's, my diaphragm was only working at the muscle that makes you breathe at 20% back then. And so they, they thought they were going to have to give me like a trach and a permanent ventilator that I wore on a backpack and all this stuff. And, and I still don't have that. So every day that I can walk and breathe on my own, I just take as a gift. And so, and I, you know, I could lay there and be super depressed and I could really use some pain medicine that I'm not getting, you know, like there's a lot of things, but when I, when I get up and that's part of the reason I changed my whole thing from, from talking about chronic illness to doing this fabulous over 50, because when I constantly talked about being sick and talked about my symptoms and thought about it all the time, I felt so much sicker. So what I try to do now is think about other things and do positive things. And so a lot of people say, well, you do so many things, but the reason is because it keeps me busy, keeps my mind off all that negative stuff. And then I'm just moving forward and I'm not sinking into that. And I'm not going to lie every once in a while last night, 
I get sad. I mean, sometimes I can't be positive, but you know, so we do what's called a five minute pity party and it sounds ridiculous, but we literally set a timer and you are allowed to cry, scream, moan, all the things that society tells us we can't do until the timer beeps. And it's amazing how much better that makes you feel. It really does. And so we let our kids do it too. When they're, you know, whining about all this stuff, okay, five minute pity party and everyone just gets it out of their system. And at the end you start to feel silly because you're like, okay, really, I've been moaning about this. Sometimes it can't even take five minutes. And then you, you but you've gotten it out. Cause I think one of the things in our society is you're supposed to hold everything in, right? Don't talk about being sad. Don't talk about being sick. Don't talk about having a bad day. How are you doing today? You have to say I'm fine or I'm great, but you're not great. So, you know, maybe get it out when you're feeling sad so that then you can feel happy. I like that. There's a, I don't even know the name of it, but it's like a place you go to and you just break up stuff. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so I yeah. guess it's kind of like that release. Exactly. You know, and, and because I think, you know, we're all taught, you know, sit down and shut up and pretend like put a smile on your face, you know, mm-hmm. and that is not healthy. That's not, right. you know, people need to get stuff out. Right. So that's true. Yeah. Okay. Balance. So if you could tell 17 year old Jen something, what would you tell her? Well, there's a couple things. Stop comparing yourself to other people. That would be number one. Because if I had not done that, and don't think that you need a man to be successful. Those are the two things. Okay. Yeah. And if a man treats you bad, leave. Leave. That is. (laughs) Don't keep trying to fix it. Oh my gosh, he's not going to change. He's. Yeah. So, yeah. But it's interesting that you say that. And um, I was actually wrapping up, but I'm still going to wrap up. But I, I like that you say that because um, in the in the black community, they always uh, say that black women are always saying that about you don't need a man to be successful. Um, we say it, but we get condemned by the men for saying it, saying that the reason why we're single is because we want to be so independent. But it's interesting to hear that from from you because it's not a black thing. It is not a black thing. Heck it's no. It's a woman thing. White people say it too. Yes. Because, yeah. you know, is it is it nice if you have the right man and you're married and things are beautiful? Yes. But, you know, I know from like my age and older, we were kind of taught like to be successful, you have to get married and have a man, right? And so a lot of us chose the first person that came along and we do not need that. So, no. Right. Okay. I love it. All right. So can you tell everyone how they can find you, follow you, support you? Yeah. Um, everything it's, um, jenhardy.net everywhere or is where everything is. So yeah. And, um, yeah, J E N H A R D Y.net. So, and thank you so much for having me on the show. This is so cool. I love it. Oh, good. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for coming and thank you for giving me your perspective. And I hope that this resonates with the guests. I know, I know, I mean, the guests, the listeners, I know it will because, you know, I've been in, enjoying all of these stories. I don't know if you noticed, but I am trying something different and I really appreciate it because the more we think that we're different, we're actually all the same. Yeah. You know, and I think, I think we need to have way more, yeah, conversations, black, yeah. white, all right. everybody, you know, so thank you. Right. Great. So I appreciate you, Jen, and you enjoy the rest of your day. And thanks again for coming and 
you guys please follow her support her she's writing books like about a pound so y'all go ahead and check her out get one of those journals and i definitely will be getting one because i want to try that five-year one um awesome. so i can check my progress but again thank y'all so much and i'll be back with another one bye-bye